0: Hello listeners, and welcome to the special World Cup edition of the Ravonna podcast. I'm your host, Ms. Kwonga, journalist, poet, covering the World Cup from the safety of Berlin, my bedroom, and for the New York Times. I'm joined by the wonderful Michael De Silva and the mysterious, elusive producer Ryan, who is a world-class musician, <laughs> won't reveal his true identity, he's laughing in the corner. <laughs> and this episode is focusing, funnily enough, not on those amazing nations who've qualified for the World Cup, but for those perennial attendees who, for some reason, are not there this time, and it's called the uninvited. So, Michael, the great nations who are not at this World Cup, Italy, Netherlands, Chile, USA, what's gone wrong and where from here?
1: Oh, where do we start, sir?
0: Where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can start with Italy, actually, I think, because they're the most obvious yeah. gaping absence in the tournament I think
1: Italy in some ways have the biggest problem out of any of the nation because Mm. not only do they have such a rich history but they've got it's the end of an era for them Mm. you know Buffon Chiellini Barzagli Mm. um, I think there's one more De Rossi they've all retired right and I just don't really know where they're going to go from here but isn't that good for them isn't it cyclical uh, these,
0: you know, France, you know, had some pretty horrific World Cup experiences. Isn't it better, to an extent, not to qualify rather than turn up and be humiliated? Just, <laughs> just being provocative, just provocative. You know?
1: For Italy, I would say yes, mm. that's true. Um, I think where Italy differ from the Netherlands, for example, is that the Netherlands were genuinely unlucky not to qualify, right, right. Whereas I think Italy deserved not to be there. Well, okay. Um, and I think the rebuilding process for the Italian team is is deeper.
0: That's funny because I wonder if there's a parallel there between Italy and Holland because of the quality of players they're producing. It's actually in gradual decline, in, in cyclical decline. I'm not saying it's terminal, and mm. because you know, obviously, these countries football is is the prime sport by a long way. But I just wonder if there's a parallel between the kinds of players that Italy and Holland have been producing and. Maybe they're both taking their eyes off the
1: ball. What do you think of that? I remember watching the Netherlands um, in their their qualifying and seeing um, Hugo Lloris, who's usually so um, so on it, um, make a horrendous blunder right. against Sweden, and that allowed Sweden to get the result they needed to make the playoffs. And I remember just thinking wow, the world is conspiring against the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> Some uh, greater force doesn't want them to be in Russia. Um, that's what makes me think the Netherlands will be okay. Right. Um, I think I think Italy have a real problem in that who's going to be their next Buffon? Well, maybe Buffon's actually, his replacement is there. But mm. who's going to be the next Chiellini? Right. The next Barzagli? I mean, they've got Marco Verratti in there, but I I see a real real issue um, with the next generation.
0: I think Verratti's been almost over... It's not his fault. He's been overexposed and overpromoted because, unfortunately, I think he comes from a dearth... He comes from a generation with a dearth of outstanding, deep-lying Italy playmakers. You know, there was a time when Aquilani was just one of many names because you were sort of sport for choice, really. That's now, a name I haven't heard in right, a long Right, well, time. There, there you go, there you go, because <laughs> there were so many. But don't forget, like Italy have had their glut, they had in 94. They're players like sort of Casiraghi in the mm. mid-90s to late-90s, had an outstanding glut of strikers. At one point, they had so many great number 10s, they were only playing one at each one at once. Well, being Italy, <laughs> I mean, if Guardiola had them, he would have played all three of them. Wouldn't he? <laughs> but Italy I think they had Zola, Baggio and... Totti, I think, at one point mm. was, it, was it the same era? I'm not quite sure. The same era, I think Zola, Baggio and Totti. Towards Del yeah. Piero was in there as well. Del Piero, sorry, Del Piero. Right, so mm. they had three great number tens, and of course, being Italy, they just played one of them, and then you know, stacked the midfield with quite defensive players. Yeah, but I just think these things are cyclical because you can't create a Totti, you can't create a Del Piero. All you can do is basically have. It's a relatively high standard of football and then just hope that you get a few geniuses along the way. Mm. And maybe that's just the German German luck at the moment. They've got a glut of great attacking midfielders. But of course, Germany have no strikers at the moment. No no real world-class strikers. I mean, good enough to win the tournament, not world-class. So maybe these things, maybe we're just overreacting. Maybe we're just sort of looking at Italy and Holland and we should just think that the time will come again.
1: I think one of the issues with Italy is that they didn't plan for this well enough okay they knew what was coming Mm. they knew that all of their key players were getting older together right and partly that's the the coach's fault he left under a cloud of darkness Mm. (laughs) Um, but I think um, I think Italy will be okay in the long term and I think Euro 2020 is going to be a Crucially important tournament mm. for them. If they can show that they're at least on the path to returning, then there's a bright future for them. But you'll be looking for key progress, I think, at that tournament. And if they have another bad tournament, then I think it might be time to start to worry. I think I see what you're
0: saying. The problem I've I've always had with with clubs, well, with countries in decline, is is how well they manage the infrastructure. And Germany obviously had a horrific time of it, Euro 2000. They won, the, won in 96 When 2000 looked abject. Then 2002, they're back in the final, mm. which was completely unexpected. I mean, the draw they got was, I mean, questionable. I mean, they got a fairly easy run to the final. That being said, they still took the path. And then oh six, they have a complete revamp. And I think that the reason I'm slightly more concerned about Italy than I was about Germany back then is the German approach to infrastructure and coaching, the amount of investment, you know, they were going to be okay. But I just look at the Italian coaching infrastructure, I'm not so convinced.
1: Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, I think Germany are masters at reinventing themselves. Mm. You know, they lost Lahm at the last World Cup, Schweinsteiger. They have Kimmich, um, oh my goodness. Exactly. And one of the, the, the genius things about, um, about Lerf is that he's able to regenerate his squad tournament after tournament. I think and he's underrated, actually. Oh, huge. I think he's still underrated. Yeah, absolutely. But I think he's perfect for international right. football management. I, there were a lot of Arsenal fans calling for him to, to come mm, in and no, replace sure. Wenger. I think that would have been a really, really bad Like enough. an Ancelotti
0: thing. I mean, Ancelotti, yeah. I think, for me, is a great... They talk about this group, and we'll quickly sort of go into discussing Germany, if you don't mind. But what's fascinating, when they left out Leroy Sané, the fanfare around that, the, outroar, the, so the, the outrage, was much greater outside Germany than in Germany because people mm. who regularly watch Germany, actually people like your colleague uh, Jonathan Harding at Deutsche Welle, would say actually he never really did it for Germany. I think 12 games, I think one assist or none, no goals. And also you know couldn't necessarily play inside when he came in off the wing. And also in terms of being in the group, I mean Mats Hummels came out with a very interesting comment and said, Younger players in the Germany squad, not mentioning anyone, younger players in the Germany squad don't get what it is to be part of the German team. They turn up and they act like they've been in the team for three years. And I just wonder if there was a little bit of complacency from Sané that the older players picked up on. And I don't think Hummels meant it. I don't think it was, I don't think he, he doesn't strike him as a kind of sort of school bully in the dressing room. I just remember seeing a couple of things from Sane about talking about oh the journey begins on his Instagram before he'd been selected for the squad and I remember mm-hmm. thinking ah this is a
1: bit did you see that I didn't see it but this is yeah. that's that sounds like someone who doesn't quite understand Lurfs methods right right you right. know he's uh, this is a guy who's all about the team he's about the system you mm. know and he would rather have someone like Julian Brandt who works hard and fits that 4231 that he plays um Sane's been undeniably brilliant in the Premier League. Mm. But it's more than that at international football. Um it's about it's about cohesion, you know? Yeah. Um it's not just about um, you know, impressing week after week in the Premier League. So I think I, I mean I'm not gonna lie, I was surprised as well, I probably would have taken him, but I think um I think Lef
0: knows exactly what he's doing. I think yeah I think you're right. I mean when I first saw it I was just like, I was gobsmacked of course but you know I only watched I watched Saney and Patches for Man City and yeah. but it's a different level the international arena is not necessarily as it's not as competitive as the Champions League maybe but it has different pressures and the pressure of I think playing you know every 3 days in that context in the group of the squad being called upon at any one moment to be a decisive player i think it's a different cocktail together and i'm not sure what was the thing the thing that love said he hasn't yet arrived as an international player mm. which is such an interesting comment hasn't yet arrived in terms of there's a certain assurance you need to have on this stage that he doesn't have mm. anyway true i'm diverging i want to get back to i <laughs> no, no no it's fascinating i want to get i want to talk about the Netherlands now um we we'll discussed them briefly but let's go into a bit more detail because I'm a bit concerned about the quality of player they're producing. Previous generation, Robin Schneider. Now they've got, you know, Wijnaldum and like David Klaassen. These are good players. These mm. are really good players but they're kind of, they're not 30-yard screamers. They're kind of coming off the crossbar, aren't they? They're kind of like, not <laughs> quite. they're not quite there. Yeah,
1: they're definitely not at the same level as previous generations. You're used to watching um, Netherlands teams with um, the likes of De Boer and uh, Burkamp over Mars. Mm. you know these are real standout guys um, they've got some decent talent coming through Justin Clivert looks good right right um, Barcelona I heard are interested in him
0: well that would yes. be uh,
1: <laughs> but I think um, I think that's true I think that they've been a bit mismanaged as well Danny Blind kept his job after the last Euros which I think was a mistake mm. Um I think he lasted just another 5 or 6 games after that at the most maybe even less than that um before they switch coach again I think they're in good hands Ronald Koeman is I think he's um doesn't get a fair <laughs> I think I, his Everton experience has tainted him a little maybe bit
0: maybe he's better suited to the international forum
1: to be honest Quite possibly yeah he's but I think he was good at Southampton he was good there, but I think they've they've done well to get him. He could be, in some ways, an inspirational figure for them, a bit like Conte was for for Italy right, right. before their decline. Um, so I think, um, and as I said before, I think the Netherlands were a bit unlucky. Um, like they, I think um, um, Luxembourg it was in their group got a draw with France, and you know that really put. It was a game changer. It, it was. It put Netherlands. On France the, had a on funny. Old... Foot, well, France had
0: a weird. We might get onto France in a bit, but they only scored like 18 goals in 10 matches. How's that possible with, with their that, team? I think this is why. If you look actually at who they left out, they left out Corman, they left out Martial. <laughs> they had a bit of a bloodletting. It was a bit sort of a red wedding, wasn't it, in relation to Game of Thrones reference for you? It was a real bloodletting in relation to who, who Deschamps left out. But if you look at what worked and what didn't work, that makes sense to me. Because if you look at Coman, Corman is not a player who creates play in the final third. He is a brilliant, aggressive attacker, but he is not a playmaker in the final third. Martial, I'm a United fan, Man United fan. I love Martial, but he's not someone who is yet an elite playmaker in the final third. And everyone they've selected is someone who is premium, capable of creating the game. Payet fell off for Marseille, out. And I actually like that ruthlessness that Deschamps showed there. Because, if he took that same gaggle of attacking players to the World Cup, they weren't going to light things up, in my opinion. And that that sounds brutal, but I think it was a really smart move Mm. because that France team in that group, I mean, 18 goals and 10 matches, I mean, come on. They were outscored by the Netherlands, I think. Mm. And I think the two teams that that finished below them.
1: Yeah, Sweden. Yeah, Sweden, yeah. Do you think France can do it though? I think they're a bit too inexperienced. I think they can. They can do it.
0: Whether they will is another question, but they certainly can. And what they need to do, and I said this, I think, recently on social media, I said, Pogba needs to get angry. <laughs> Paul Pogba needs to lose his temper. He needs to get fed up. He needs to get... He's a to bit go- too nice at the moment. He is too nice. <laughs> do you know, this is... An, Paul, uh, let me draw uh, a comparison. Paul Pogba, and for basketball fans, of a certain vintage, Hakim Olajuwon. Hakim Olajuwon, wonderful, soft-spoken, Nigerian... A centre, arguably the greatest centre of all time, in my opinion, the greatest centre of all time, Hakim Olajuwon. In 1994, very gentle guy, very friendly guy, and it came, he came to the the, the, the semi-finals, the equivalent of Western Conference semi finals so this, the semi-finals equivalent in football. And someone else got the award for the most valuable player that season, and he absolutely <laughs> lost it because it's basically like you know a challenge to his his quality, his authority. And he went out and just blitzed the entire thing and yeah. Pogba needs to get offended because on the occasions when Pogba gets angry like Chelsea the 2-0 in, in Mourinho's first season at Old Trafford they said oh Kante's better than you. his stats are better than yours and you saw Pogba's face in the Sky Sports interview and he just disintegrated something in him snapped and he became Thor basically and he just went and ate <laughs> everything in sight and the second half against Man City this season the 2-0 down Pogba had an atrocious first half And at half time, Michael Carrick said, get in front of your man at a free kick at the cross and you'll kill them. And Pogba came out and just devoured everyone.
1: The best 45 minutes I've seen Pogba play in a long, long time. And
0: he was angry. So you need to find a way to get, and I think Marina's been trying it because Pogba is so talented. He's always been the best player on every playground, every training session. I'm not saying he's coasted, he hasn't, but I'm saying that his, the extra gear that he finds is game-changing. And with, with the midfield now that they're using, I'm very encouraged to see Kante and Tolisso starting. This is really encouraging because Kante, if you remember the best game that France played in the Euros, I don't think it was even France-Germany, it was the Iceland game. When Iceland were looking really good and France destroyed them 5-2, Polper and Kante midfield, they couldn't, they couldn't get near them. So I think they,
1: what they call a Cinderella really, I think France could be the Cinderella candidate at this World Cup. You're not going to like this, but I think Pogba needs Pep Guardiola to... uh, I do like that. ...to wind him up a bit. Have you seen how Guardiola... um, Who was it at Bayern? Oh, it was Kimmich, I think. Yes, yes. Where he just... The nil-nil draw. And he comes off and just lays into him. Oh, my God. And he's done that with De Bruyne as well. But Lewandowski, I've seen him do it with. Pogba needs that. He needs that. He really needs that.
0: He literally just needs the right coach. And I shouldn't care. I shouldn't care so much about a player who, (laughs) you know, has all the abundance. But it's just... It's about unfulfilled potential. Mm. And look, it would be a really nice story for Brazil to come back and do something exciting. But at the end of the day, we've seen what a Brazil World Cup win looks like. It's lovely, Mm. but I want to see the bounty shared around. (laughs) Anyway, sorry, we're off track. Well, I
1: I think um, that actually brings us quite nicely onto, uh, well, you mentioned unfulfilled potential. Producer
0: Ryan has introduced something to the... Sorry, um, every now and again, Producer Ryan will drop these gems... uh, Sorry, sorry, Ryan. I'm sorry to humiliate you. Um, he's put in the name of the Ivory Coast oh. as a as a country with World Cup pedigree who should perhaps be there. And look, he's got a point. They've and they a good get, team, but they also are in. They're a cyclical team, aren't they? They're a cyclical team. They're a team that mm. you know we've seen so much greatness from them from such a great period, and. There's no shame in not qualifying for the World Cup. This is the thing as well. Like sometimes it's not your time.
1: The thing about the Ivory Coast at the moment, though, is I would say a lack of flair. They, they they come from a generation of, or we're coming from a generation right. of Ivory Coast players like Drogba, Kalou, mm. Javinho, um Yaya Toure. Sure. Um, amazing attacking players. All of their best players now are defenders. I mean that again is. I think this stuff is cyclical because look at the Ivory
0: Coast. They don't have a world-class domestic league. You know, it's, it's good in the context of the region, but it's not a world-class domestic league. So what happens is almost you're, you're blessed by that golden generation and they, they sharpen each other because they're in training together. And if you're training as a defender against attackers like Drogba, you're going to get better. So that kind of group, that squad, almost kind of like fed each other its own ecosystem.
1: And they were punching above their weight. They f- were absolutely so and pe- long. People
0: have to remember this. People thought, "Oh, why isn't this country there? That country there?" Well, actually, in the grand scheme, no country is entitled to qualify for these tournaments. Mm. Countries that obviously plough more of their p- GDP as a percentage into their countries are going to expect into their country's football. They're going to expect to qualify more. Yes, but still, look, this is this is world football, like. Coaching is globalised. Quality is now globalised across the board. So if you cu- if you turn up to a qualifying campaign slightly below par, you're not going to come through. Like mm. Italy's record wasn't that bad. Mm. Was it? Was it? Was it one six from one, one lost three? I think it's not bad. Mm. Like, and they didn't go through. So sometimes it's just the question of like tough luck. Ivory Coast not going. Yeah, that's a shame. Obviously, Ghana not there either. But these countries will be back. These are not sort of these are not tragedies.
1: Yeah, Ghana. They, um, they're also a, a country that's come to a kind of end of an era. Right. Um, Asamoah Gien was their talisman he for so long. He never quite took off he? Him, never did he. quite did it, did he? But he was so good at World Cups. <laughs> he was, he was.
0: But that, when he hit the crossbar against Uruguay, I remember thinking, I know he's going to miss that. Mm. You could just see it. And the thing that I really hated about that loss to Uruguay, the thing that really upset me about that penalty shootout loss was it was all the stereotypes about African countries oh they can't keep their heads you know people lose penalty shootouts all the time but I remember there was such a moment with Ghana if they'd beaten Uruguay then they could have done something really exciting in the semi and I remember just I remember just being so angry and being like this is such a stereotypical African nation loss like Mm. to like completely just blow the shootout to blow that I just it was it was awful
1: it was devastating. And that team deserved better, and they, with no Essien yeah. as
0: well. They mm-hmm. went all that way without Michael Essien, yeah. which was a heartbreaking loss on the eve of the tournament. Yeah, um, yeah but they'll, they'll be back, Garner. And the
1: fact that it was Luis Suarez made
0: it all the more bitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why people... This is the thing, kids. Don't try this at home. Don't, we, we must not get too emotionally invested in sporting tournaments. <laughs> in, at least in relation when in, in, in looking for natural justice, because it won't,
1: it will not bless us. Yeah. you know I mean look look at well that. remember there's VAR at this tournament so uh, I'm not a fan at all Oh God VAR but it at least I get it I, will say I some I, heard, I heard yesterday that the entire team that will um, say <laughs> <The laughs> yes, you know what I'm gonna say yes I do they're gonna sit in full kit I love. That. <laughs> officials <laughs> wearing full kit
0: to be honest you know actually i can reveal exclusively that producer ryan is wearing full kit he's wearing, <laughs> he's wearing full england kit yeah no, no, he's not like, that's, that's not <laughs> i felt <laughs> a bit uncomfortable
1: <laughs> when i saw him <laughs> if, 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 if you
0: listen if you just rewind uh, a few seconds you'll just hear very briefly the vocals of the elusive producer ryan um <laughs> yeah but so we, we've touched upon um african asia not going um but
1: you know chile oh chile <laughs> Chile big absentee mm. uh, Chile were a team that I thought could genuinely win the last World Cup they were that good right absolutely I and agree with that four years on when they beat Spain 2-0 in the group game
0: with that astonishing pressing game it was weird because Spain losing 5-1 funny enough to Holland was a bit of a black swan it was a bit of a freak because you know, it was 1-0 at half time and if if Ampersi doesn't score that goal, then everything changes. So it, it could be written those freak results, but the Chile domination of Spain was so total. Mm. That was what blew me away because obviously, having been beaten, you're like, Spain gonna come back really strong. Spain come back strong against Chile. So everyone was like that bit up, they were ready. Chavi was fully locked in, and Chile just came out and just went took them to the cleaners. Mm. And I was in Brazil for that World Cup. And the reaction of the Chile supporters, who were incredible, they were absolutely wonderful, the travelling Chile fans, they came sort of a convoy of buses and uh, various other vehicles. They believed. And no one wanted to play them. No one. I mean, they were even more fearsome than Colombia because you look at Colombia, Colombia actually even weren't as well balanced, I believe, as, as Chile in that World Cup.
1: They were a penalty shootout away from knocking out Brazil. Yeah. It was just Neymar's penalty at the end right. that, that sealed it for them. Mm. They were that close. They were. But now you've got to look at where they are. And you have to wonder whether Alexis Sanchez has played his last World Cup. Mm. Not because of his age. I think he's 29. But Mm. because of where Chile are right now. Mm. You have to ask yourself, you know, where are the next generation coming from? Vidal is is, is 31. We're assuming as well, though. We're assuming as well that
0: Peru will maintain their level their outstanding level and that you know Chile they only shaded them out
1: by I think goal difference or a point or something so mm. yeah I think Chile collapsed um mm. in the last kind of three or four games of that qualifying campaign they were well on course to to qualify and then they drew with Bolivia nil nil for like the f- first time they hadn't beaten them in 18 years or something mm. um so it started to un- unravel quite late on and Alexis Sanchez just never hit the heights that but maybe, it's awesome. like maybe, I think,
0: look, I love Alexis Sanchez. He's a Manchester United player and he's just a great footballer generally. But I wonder if there's a benefit to players like that stepping aside because as a footballer, he is still very much a soloist. And if a guy like that leaves the national team, it actually creates for him for a more balanced attack and a more threatening attack. You look at, if we contrast Manchester United's attack with Manchester City's attack, you don't know who to mark with City. You've got a front three, you don't know who to mark because they're Ooh. all popping up at different times, whereas United, it's Lukaku as the front man. And I wonder, with a player like Sanchez, if he's the focal point, it becomes easier ultimately to stop the attack.
1: Yeah, but it only works if you've got decent players around right? Okay, um, to kind of draw that attention away and allow them to do the, for sure, for the sure. business. Um, I just wonder whether Chile have got that next generation coming through. Um, I also think, and I've said this, I think, before, that... I think Chile kind of punched
0: themselves out with those two straight Copa wins. Yeah, You know, the two straight <laughs> Copa wins, I think they won uh, runners-up in Confederations Cup. You know, they, that's a heavy involvement each summer. They're going deep into tournaments each summer and the euphoria of beating Argentina twice, the great Lionel Messi twice, I think weirdly might have left them as a spent force. I mean, this is how many years of uninterrupted success. Outstanding at the World Cup, outstanding two straight tournaments. Sometimes there's just nothing left in the tank. Yeah. And we underestimate how difficult it is to win every year. Like the the hunger to come back. You know, look look, look, look at, look at um, Gareth Bale after this Champions League win. It was his third Champions League win, I think. And Bale's just like, yeah. I mean, his four, hasn't he won four times now, Bale, actually? I'm uh, not sure how many he's won now. Is it three or four? I think it's three or four. I think he's won four in total. Yeah. And you saw him after this one. He's talking about you know maybe moving away from Real Madrid because the hunger is just not as great the fourth time you win something as opposed to the first time. So with Chile, by that token, the qualifying campaign, the long slog, I just wonder if psychologically, not that you don't care, but it's this fatigue.
1: And you're right that it's cyclical. With all of the nations, in fact, that we're talking about, it is cyclical, even though I think that Italy... Might have a a deeper a issue. Deeper problem, but 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 if you look at uh, the Chile team from when was it the mid nineties, Marcelo goodness. Salas, oh my goodness, Zamarano. Yeah. it took quite a while for them to to come back to come back from that. Right, right. Well,
0: they're a small country. Um, one thing we're talking of a large country who missed out the USA.
1: Yes, the USA. I think have been flirting with not making a World Cup for quite a long time. I <laughs> think it's a lot. Can I say this? I mean, jump in. I find a lot
0: of entitlement in that, <laughs> a lot of entitlement. You know, we've won the women's World Cup. We want to host it. We want to do this. We want to do that. I was like, hey, but look at your squad, my man. Look at your squad. Like, mm. what's what are you bringing to the table? Mm. Good players, yes, good players. Yedlin, you know, Green, good players. But come
1: on, man. Like, having said that, I have a lot of love for USA '94. We all do. <laughs> <laughs> we all do but that's part of the problem that's part of the problem yeah, it's nostalgia right? it's
0: nostalgia and romance and like the problem is panama catch you unawares mm. and like the teams above you like these are not clowns mm. honduras are not clowns mexico costa rica they were a bit of a black swan but they've come out of nowhere yeah. i think that costa rica are interesting because they upset the apple cart their emergence has been so swift i don't think the u.s adjusted for it they maybe assumed okay we won't beat mexico but we'll come as one of the kind of runners up and costa rica got there and stayed there. Mm. I, I described them, I think, last tournament in Costa Rica as... They're like that sort of five-a-side team that always win the kind of the midweek Power League, the five-a-side, because they basically always play together and they just know where each other are. They're not that famous in terms of individuals apart from Killer Navas, but they're just... They're so smart and streetwise. And the US just didn't look streetwise in this qualifying campaign.
1: They didn't at all. Streetwise, I think, is... Something that has been lacking from their game for quite a long time. Mm. If they could be a bit more pragmatic, Bruce Arena, the two thousand and two World Cup team
0: was brilliant in terms of it was I think it was 5 three three five two. Brian McBride, they had the wing backs. Um, I think Claudio Reyna was still there. Yeah. I mean, this team was just oh, it was the best coached US team I've seen. Yeah. And it's so strange. I think maybe they look back and go, how do we go from that to this almost?
1: Mm-hmm. Was Landon Donovan part of that team? A young Landon Donovan, In I seem to remember. O two, I
0: think he was. Yeah. I think he was.
1: Yeah. But that sh- could and should have heralded a, a bright new era for US football, really. But they were they were mismanaged. And I think the Jürgen Klinsmann experiment... Horrifying. Yeah, it was. Um, but it was
0: so weird how they just allowed to drift on and on. It was com- clearly he was not the... Clearly, the, not even just not the right man, but so absolutely the wrong man. And it was like all the kind of, all the vices of major football federations were at play there. The celebrity, the cult of personality, the yes man, because, you know, Klinsman was incredibly famous and there's maybe Mm. a sense that we're lucky to have someone like that in charge of our organisation. That was
1: definitely the feeling at the beginning, I think.
0: Right, right. But then Um, it just carried on endlessly. And everyone, and the major names, the pundits. The strange thing happens in football where You know, really well-informed critics are saying this is not the way forward, and there's almost a sense of circling the wagons and shutting out Mm. good critique, and that's what I think happened.
1: Yeah, and there there was always a sense, even though they seemed to just qualify by the skin of their teeth for the last couple of World Cups, there was always this feeling that you, the US, were getting better. You know, each year um, or each World Cup, they were making a a step um, Mm. closer to where they wanted to be, but. 2014 was a regression for them and you know they've been left now with the the shell of a a, a talented group of young players right um, and they got a draw with France the other day yeah well it's a sign of what
0: might have been what could be you know yeah I mean Pulisic is one of the world's outstanding young playmakers I yeah. mean he's a, just a genuinely sort outstanding talent who could find his way to you know Barcelona or something in the near future yeah he's good enough for that level
1: they Unlike, I think there's been a few false dawns with uh, up and coming young American players. Yeah, I, Pulisic he, he seems, something, yeah, he's he, something else. He is, he's he is something else. He is the real deal, and I, I have to keep reminding myself of how young he is. I
0: saw him play. It was Real Madrid and um, a second half game as a Champions. Second half of a game in a Champions League, a group game, and the decision making was just light speed. Mm. I remember thinking this guy like when you're doing it when you're making calculations at that speed game of that intensity then you're the real deal and he absolutely
1: is yeah and but the thing for the the US is you know you need to to do well at international football it needs to be a blend between youth and experience yeah and that you know the likes of Tim Howard um, Clint Dempsey Donovan they've gone and Pulisic has been left kind of spearheading this new Twisting era, the wind. It's which is a bit—it's it's not, not fair. fair. It's no. not fair on him. Um, so, I think the the US has a bright future. Um, I, I, I've, I would expect them to to recover from this and qualify for the next World Cup. But you know that re- rebuilding process it has to start now right now right absolutely and and as I say the the draw against France the other day was was positive and I think they beat Bolivia the other day they've there are kind of um, positive signs that they're moving in the right direction so we've discussed people who are not going but let's jump into
0: who we think is going to win the damn thing oh, wow. let's let's put it yeah let's put ourselves on the line <laughs> let's let's actually like uh let's let's put ourselves out there shall we let's put some skin in the game I go first? we I We won't put any hair in the game because none of us have got any hair. <laughs> apart yeah. from the lustrous producer, Ryan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... Luscious locks. Who's, who's your tip for the uh, for the big one?
1: Spain. Good shout. I'm going for Spain. I think they've... Um, they've just got that little bit of know-how. Right. A little bit of experience that you need. Do um, they have the goals, though? That's the one big thing that, that's um, that's hanging over them. They don't really have of striker that's that's done it consistently right Um, Diego Costa doesn't quite um, he's not the force that he was true however I think they've got guys that can step up Um, Lucas I think is uh, a guy that could could do that Asensio can even fit into that kind of force nine role so I think um, as long as they can figure that out I think they could go very very far because they're a team of unbelievable attacking midfielders. That, the midfield they've got is just... I almost, feel,
0: I almost feel that's where they should be attacked. I almost feel whoever beats Spain, whoever's going to beat Spain, needs to almost hit them where they are nominally, uh, apparently strongest. If you look at what Roma did to Barcelona, Roma swarmed Iniesta and Busquets and they blew them away. And I think they have to attack them at the core. They I would agree. Go, they have to dominate them there. Like, That's their weakness. This yeah. is why I was thinking. Yeah, you know, I was, their strength is their weakness. Well, yeah, right? when I was when I was looking at like France's midfield and seeing they were picking Toliso and Cante, I was like, those are players that you can swarm. Mm. You know, an aging Iniesta. Of course, he'll be well rested now. But an aging Iniesta, you can swarm him. Swarm
1: Busquets. I just got this feeling that Iniesta is going to. I know. Guide he, Spain to this glorious crescendo. Like a sort of like a swan song. I mean, he's so good.
0: Yeah. I and mean, I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> my friends listen to this all they'll roll their eyes because I'm obsessed with Iniesta and the way he plays he is the one world class footballer I've ever seen who I still cannot work out I don't know how he does it because even having watched him live he's not fast he's not fast he has a very he has a deceptive change of pace that's the thing it's a blistering change of pace it's not fast it's not tall it's not physically apparently that strong but he just destroys people
1: I've never. And, a yeah. bit like Thomas Muller, he doesn't really look like a footballer, does he?
0: It's like you watch these superhero movers, right? Everyone else has a visible weapon, right? Everyone's got either a hammer or a big muscle or whatever. And end, like, or, or
1: Sergio Ramos has got both.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> Iniesta turns up with a bedsheet. <laughs> he turns up with a bedsheet and he jumps behind it and they're like, oh, it's a bedsheet. And he. Then he drops his, oh, where's Iniesta gone? And all of a sudden you're bleeding in a thousand different places. He's like, ha-ha. He's like that. He's like a ghost. He's such a bizarre...
1: (laughs) But Sergio Sergio Ramos that just there made me think of their defence as well. Oh, goodness. I I just don't see anyone scoring against them. And they won every game. When they won the World Cup, they pretty much won every game 1-0.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, they've got Cocker in midfield. They've got goodness disco yeah. tiago they've got they can control games Soul. oh my god so many they can control games they can bleed the life out of you the only thing i'm concerned about is the goals the firepower
1: yeah me too um i think their goals could come from their attacking midfield but you know that's um looking at their qualifying campaign i don't think that's going to be I an issue. Look at
0: the brazilians as well who are back brazil's back their powers are fully restored so
1: who's your tip musa
0: I am tipping the French. I'm tipping the French and I think it's a foolish prediction the more I think about it because I had this massive rant about I don't think they've got the mentality to win. But I just think I just think France need to get angry as a whole. And they need to be
1: like Led by Pogba.
0: Yeah, led by Pogba but like, you know, oh, we've been underestimated. But I think the Griezmann is not necessarily proven as a big game player. You know, I think all, they need to take all that negativity and just channel it, and then just go to town.
1: Do you think they've got the experience to do it? I mean, one of the reasons I'm backing Spain is that I think they've got experience that, that know how that cohesion that's mm. needed. Mm. Good Fra- point. They, I mean, France undeniably fantastic individuals. If you look who's
0: won it in past, arguably France '98. These players have been in the France team for a long time. But they weren't; they were experienced at international level, but they hadn't gone deep into a tournament. You know, France, 96, Euro 96, didn't do much. 98, they had a massive spike. This is a precedent for teams to come out of nowhere and win. Um, But yeah, I'm still tipping the French, I think. I think they have the unbelievable firepower, and maybe this is a turning point for them. But one other section I want to go on to is, we've talked about favourites, but who are you looking forward to watching, other than the main contenders? Teams or players? Yeah, teams, players. Well, we'll start with teams, and go to players. Um... For me, it's one and the same. For me, it's Denmark actually, because I want to see what Ericsson does at the helm of a team, as opposed to the second in command, a
1: cog in the yeah, team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see that
0: Ericsson yeah. unchained, liberated.
1: Ericsson is a magical player. Yeah. He really is. Um, it's gonna be great to see him against France. See if he can put one in against Hugo Lloris. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he knows he's going to do in training. But, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm quite looking forward to see. It's a perhaps not a dark horse they're too big to be a dark horse but i think this could be a coming of age for belgium okay um i mean how can martinez leave out nangalan that is bizarre that's strange something's right? happened something the dressing room i mean some behind the scenes falling out has to yeah. have happened yeah but You know, all the same, they've got a fantastic midfield, a fantastic team, actually. Also,
0: Nigelin wasn't that... He only played, like, I think, half an hour of the campaign. Something crazy, like some tiny percentage of the campaign. So, obviously, Belgium are where they
1: are. And I think Roberto Martinez is a bit of a... Some people thought it was a strange choice. I think it could actually be an inspired one. Look what he did with with Wigan. He's a cup... He's a cup coach. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, he knows how to lift the... The group. Yeah, I think... um, they're going to be exciting. Can company recover from the injury? Is company going to be back? Yeah. It's so a big deal. Well, a big deal for uh, the defence is pretty strong. They've got Alder Vareld and Vatong back there. It's pretty hardcore. Courtois. This is the beauty of
0: the Belgium team. Martinez's greatest weakness was the defence. He just wasn't good at coaching defence. Mm. When you've got a sort of a core three like that, you, you don't have concentrate. to. Then you've, got, <laughs> then you've got Henri as an attacking coach. Yeah. And you've had Lukaku, who's really benefited from mm-hmm. Carrick's training. And also, like, Lukaku's had to fend for himself. You know, as a United fan, I can say that. With 25, 27 goals this year he's got with limited service. So what's really exciting now is he's going to play for a team which is effectively centred around him, that yeah. actually crosses the ball to his head, believe it or not. And De Bruyne and Hazard, you know, in really nice form at the end of the year.
1: I think Belgium versus England could be one of the games to watch in the, the group stage because these are both teams that are just going to go for it. And what you'd, you know, as a neutral, you'd like to see those two playing off for the top spot where they're both qualified already mm. and you just see a, you know, it's the last game of that group. So you just see a, a great display of attacking football. I'm looking forward to watching England this tournament.
0: And I'm really, I'm actually really sad for Luke Shaw because I think that he would be perfect for a wing back system. Actually, I think it'd be really amazing. Um, Can you tell
1: he's a Man United fan? Ha 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 ha!
0: <laughs> ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. No, no, but just, I just think it's such a shame. And look, and I, and I say this, he's a good player. But, but also, I, I would love to see um, Oxlade-Chamberlain in the tournament. I feel really sad. That I he's think not there. that's that, the biggest loss. That's such for a huge loss. Yeah, it really such is. a huge loss. I mean, I
1: think uh, apart from losing Kane, um, Sterling. I think that's the next biggest loss. It's
0: enormous because he was playing such beautiful football. He was just his finding his stride under yeah, Klopp. Yeah, terrific. The
1: Champions League against Man City. Yeah, we couldn't, mean, no one knew what to do
0: with him. Um, any other countries you're looking forward to before we begin to wrap up this
1: wonderful one-off episode? Um, I'm going to steal one of yours, actually. Peru. Ooh, <laughs> Peru. <laughs> I don't know why I'm looking forward to seeing them. I just know that they're going to be exciting. Jefferson Farfan is a really good player. They played well.
0: some lovely stuff in uh, the Friendlies, actually, and they've got an incredible traveling support. Yeah. They played a game, was it in was it Switzerland? against Switzerland recently. and Oh, is this
1: the one where they filled the entire oh stadium? Oh, goodness. <laughs>
0: That's incredible. I mean, there's like, was it 20,000 Peruvians there? It was unreal. There's actually a very good Peruvian restaurant in Berlin. Called Chicha, shout out to Chicha, which has an amazing rating on Facebook, four point one stars out of five, which I may be checking out for Peru games. Either if they're screening them there or just before. So if you fancy coming down to that, we
1: exchange details and we'll uh, we'll get down and get ourselves some uh, Peruvian grub. Are they the uh, the new sponsor for the Rabona podcast? They're not yet, not yet, (laughs) but hopefully hopefully the shout out will will go some way there. Um, (laughs) So let me throw back at you. Who are you looking forward to seeing, team wise? I'm looking forward to seeing how Costa Rica do now, the secret's
0: out. I'm always fascinated by countries who have been exposed by their own brilliance and how they've been adapt. I am also looking forward to seeing Uruguay. Shout out to Uruguay because I just feel like Uruguay are like... Uruguay are like... You know, you go for a barbecue and there's always... There's always like a couple of ribs. And there's always the same kind of beer. Like Uruguay are like they're that beer that you always get at the barbecue. They're just like... <laughs> They're just, they're just the perennial, they accompany a good time. And there's, a World Cup is not a World Cup without Uruguay.
1: Which beer would they be? If Uruguay was a
0: beer? Do you know who they'd be? They'd be like a Yeva or a Pilsner or a You're just guaranteed quality. Like <laughs> yeah. a guaranteed yeah. seven and a half, eight out of ten. Yeah, yeah. You cannot go wrong.
1: Any off-license,
0: any yeah. spaghetti. like anyone that beats Uruguay at a World Cup has proven, deserves to win the entire tournament. <laughs> In my opinion, like, you know, Colombia beat Uruguay, it's like, they're, they're legit. Yeah. Like, you know, Holland beat Uruguay. They're legit because to beat them, they're almost like, they're like, if you're going to be great, they're like the anvil you have to beat out your greatness on. They are just like that. There's no, this is the thing, we're looking at World Cup absentees, I'd be unhappy if they went there. Mm. For all the skullduggery of like Suarez, mm. they're just, I mean, we were, I think we've, we've talked about this before, but 1930, from 1930, like a World Cup OGs to 2018 And other other people have fallen off. They're like the Quincy Jones of World Cup football. They have never failed to deliver.
1: World Cup wouldn't be the same. The World
0: Cup would not be the same. And on that note, on that wonderful note, we must end, I believe, because we've given you so much to meditate upon. So an absolute pleasure. It's pleasure has been mostly mine, I think. Producer Ryan, thank you. The silent beauty behind the (laughs) mic and the marvellous Mr. De Silva. We hope you enjoy listening. And most importantly, we hope you absolutely adore this edition of The Welcome.